Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear from Trevor Oldham, the founder of Podcasting You and host of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Trevor has been running Podcasting You, a podcasting booking agency that helps real estate investors guest on podcasts. And after working with hundreds of real estate clients, he shares tips and tricks along with insights from his guests for how to start investing in real estate, grow your real estate business, and how to build credibility and become a go-to expert. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. And today on the show, we have Neil Walgren. Neil brings nearly two decades of leadership and operations in capital markets. Prior to Mad Capital Partners, he led a Bay Area real estate investment firm raising capital for over $200 million in projects. Before that, Neil logged over 2,500 flight hours piloting the C-130 in the Air Force and Navy. Following combat tours to Iraq and Afghanistan, he concluded his military career as a lieutenant commander. Neil now resides with his wife and son in San Francisco, where they enjoy flying and sailing, and he also holds a BS from the Air Force Academy, an MBA from Texas A&M, and an MS from Troy University. Neil, super excited to have you on the show today. Cool. Thanks for having me, Trevor. And Neil, for our audience that may not know of you or your story or your background, I'd love for you just to hop into what led you into real estate investing. Yeah. I, you know, one thing I've always said is I feel like not a lot of people go straight into real estate from an investment standpoint. You know, you always have some other career, some path and something made you stumble onto, Hey, this is, this is maybe something that can help me grow, you know, wealth and generational assets uh, in a way that, you know, most other career paths can't, can't allow. But so I, I was kind of the same, you know, when, when I got started, I was, you know, kind of a shy teenager, um, decided, all right, like I need to get out of my comfort zone. I grew up just outside of San Francisco, kind of in the, some affluent suburbs out there. And really everything was, was safe. It was simple. It was predictable and I needed a change. <laughs> so I decided, all right, um, I ended up going to the Air Force Academy in Colorado and got selected for flight school, went through a, a number of uh, flight school bases and locations and ultimately ended up commanding and piloting the, the C-130 Hercules. So got to do that for 10, 12 years, uh, live all over the world, Japan, uh, trips to the Middle East, uh, all over the Pacific, Asia, Europe, I mean, you name it. I, I think I just hit uh, my 102nd uh, country that I visited. So uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the world seen and a lot left to see still. But uh, ultimately, you know, had had fun, did that for, for a number of years. And then ultimately, you know, in the in the military side, you kind of start winding down on as much flying and then you start taking more leadership roles and you kind of have a decision, Hey, do I want to stay in this organization or do I want to get out? And I, I decided, you know, the long-term military track wasn't for me. Uh, and most military pilots will go on to become commercial pilots. Uh, it's a, a very common pathway. Go fly for United Delta American whatnot. But most of the people I knew who are doing it, I mean, everyone said, eh, it's an all right job, you know, but nobody loved it. And, you know, the more I kind of looked into it and the more I, I, 
really was, was brainstorming. How do I, how do I build this life that I want to build, you know, and how do I basically set up this work-life balance? And really I, I determined it all comes down to passive income. And I, I had the, the, the fortunate, um, really a circumstance that a friend had recommended rich dad, poor dad way back, you know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, read that said, Hey, this is a great way to put money in a way where your money makes money and you don't have to lift a finger. I mean that, I mean, you know, to an extent anyways, but uh, obviously there's a very wide range of active versus passive on the real estate side. But this idea that, you know, really your, your investment is doing work for you and not tied to your time. You know, from a pilot side, if I went on that track to make more money, I would have had to be away from home more. I would have, I mean, really the only way to make more money is more hours in the cockpit and more days away from home. And there's no way to build the life you want, increase your, your wealth capability and still, you know, have it all in one, in one place. So uh, that was kind of my, my initial drive, I think, for the transition from, you know, prior military life into, you know, looking at this new field of real estate. And as you start looking into real estate, what type of asset classes were you looking at? Were you looking at single family, you know, you know, fix and flips, multifamily, what sort of, you know, did you mind just giving our audience some context on, you know, where, you know, I guess sort of what asset class you bought first and then are you still in that asset class or have you moved to, you know, you know, other, other asset classes that are out there? That's a great question. So I, I've been doing this full time, probably about six, seven years now. And every, I swear every day or every week, I kind of stumble across a new, a new business model or a new investment angle for how to invest in real estate. There's so many ways, but, you know, I think most people will start, you know, really with this idea that I, I know a house, right? And if I want to make some money, maybe I can buy a house down the street. And then that might evolve to, well, maybe where I live isn't the best place to invest. So maybe I could buy that investment house, maybe in a different state, right? And then, okay, but how do I scale this? I'm taking calls. All right, maybe I can buy enough to get a property manager. And then maybe I could bring this one step higher. And eventually, and then I started looking at uh, multifamily, which is kind of a normal progression. Uh, You know, most people have either lived in an apartment or know someone who has, you know, it's a familiar asset class. And this idea of how do I, I build value in a way that I know or think I know, I uh, think I understand is really an easy way to kind of get your feet wet. So, um, you know, ultimately I was looking at that and had the opportunity to join up with a Bay Area firm where um, it was, it was founded by the husband of a family friend. And um, this gentleman had built a company that originally was doing turnkey single family out of state investments, uh, basically buying kind of a rundown house, doing rehab to it, putting property management in place, uh, getting a renter in place, and then really selling it as a cash flowing investment. Um, and that was that was the model. And then that model was really profitable for a few years. Uh, but ultimately, you know, like anything, you start, there was kind of a low barrier to entry and a lot more people started getting in and, you know, the price of housing started going up at a much faster clip than rents were. So ultimately your cash flow started to get squeezed. Um, and, and we saw, uh, you know, a relatively higher amount of opportunity in the commercial space. Um, so I worked with him and we had a really a, a network of investors 
that we had built. And we ultimately had a model where we would partner with other commercial real estate operators or developers, basically guys who are, you know, brokers who had a good eye for opportunity, could get a deal under contract, could put real estate debt on that project, but usually lacked the ability to raise capital for it. So we would be effectively that capital arm. We would handle all the the investor relations and kind of be a, a JV partnership through the life of these deals. And, and these, these projects were truly passive in that, you know, we had a, a, we were part of the management team and then all the investors were in a actually legally separate class, uh, you know, LPs, limited partners where they, their money came in and ultimately they had, you know, a defined set of priority rights to the cash flow and the profits generated on this project and ultimately zero management responsibilities or rights. Um, so it's, it's a very different approach to, you know, buying your own, you know, rental house down the street, but really uh, from a profits and cash flow level, you know, in my opinion, the potential going through commercial is actually equal, if not greater than what you can find in a lot of residential. And with commercial, you know, I obviously, you know, tons of different asset classes within real estate. And then when even you get into commercial, you can get retail, multifamily and apartments, hospitality, you know, there's, there's, a, it's almost like you get one asset class and then there's even more asset classes when you hop into that, into that one specific asset class. So within the commercial space, was there an area that you're focused on, whether it is say multifamily, retail, hospitality, or you focused on one singular space within the commercial space? So it was kind of neat on this last firm I was with, we had the ability, I think we had six or seven kind of repeat operators that we would partner with on deals. Each one had their own unique asset type, their own unique geography. For example, we had one group that only did, you know, class B 1990s build multifamily in Northeast Georgia, right? Very specific, but they were good <laughs> at it. They, they would do, you know, one deal after another right in that niche. And we loved it because we could leverage their expertise and they could leverage our ability to raise capital. And ultimately we would do, you know, repeat deal flow with them. And then we had another, uh, uh, another operator that did, you know, kind of value add office. And then we had another one who did multi-tenant retail in Dallas, Fort Worth. Another one who did land entitlement and development for senior assisted living in California. So these, these very different asset classes. And it was kind of neat because we really had the challenge, you know, as I was raising capital for my investors, you know, I was required to not only educate, but, you know, ultimately show, Hey, this is the value potential in this particular asset class. I had to very much understand the underwriting, the, the pro forma on each model. And, and they were, they were different for, with each operator. And after a while, you know, you really start to see, you know, highs and lows, strengths and weaknesses with these different asset classes. And one of the operators we worked with was a group called Mag Capital. And Mag Capital, uh, they raised funds, um, and ultimately their investment strategy was buying single tenant, net leased, meaning a, a full triple net lease, uh, manufacturing industrial, and mostly in the Midwest, you know, from Michigan all the way down to Texas, and you know, just the the simplicity of a single tenant, long term net leased investment, I really liked, and I liked the team behind it. And over time, I realized the team is equal, if not more important than the investment structure. And ultimately, those two pieces really gravitated me to the, that particular operator. And I ended up joining them 
the two principals there full time uh, just a little over two years ago. And and for our audience that's listening and they aren't familiar with the term triple net lease, would you mind just explaining it, explaining how that works and, and how you're able to uh, make some good income out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's really two ends of the spectrum for leases. Um, the first is going to be a gross lease. A gross lease means the, uh, the the landlord is going to pay for everything, right? And then as you shift expenses of owning real estate to the tenant, there's different categories and those are referred to as nets. So um, the first net is property taxes. So a, a single net lease would mean that the landlord pays for everything except the tenant pays their own property taxes. Um, a double net lease the tenant pays property taxes and their insurance. So they would cover their own insurance premiums, coverage to a pre-specified amount, deductibles, et cetera. And that the third net is going to be utilities. So that means the tenant is going to either pay or reimburse fully, you know, whatever electric, water, et cetera, that they, they, they use. And a lot of leases in place will have some combination of those, but a, a triple net lease typically means 100% of those expenses fall on the tenant and not the landlord. And on a single tenant property where instead of having say a multi-tenant retail on a single tenant where you have one tenant in the entire building, uh, we refer to it as an absolute triple net lease. And that usually also includes building maintenance. So for example, if the roof needs to be replaced, the tenant pays for it. If the pavement needs to get repoured, if a landscape needs to be attended to, if, uh, I mean, HVAC needs to get replaced, all that, even the tenant is responsible for those expenses. Really fence line to fence line. Like, let's say for myself right now, I'm, I'm currently renting an apartment. And let's say that you're, you know, let's say it's a big, like the apartment complex I'm in, about 300 units. When you're building into these things that the tenant has to pay, do you build it into the lease? Are you, you know, upfront about the tenant or how does that, how does that go about? Because I know I've been in two different apartment complexes. One, they, you know, they paid for Everything, this one, when a light bulb goes out, I have to pay for it or they're going to charge me a, a, a pretty big fee to, yeah. to change a light bulb. So how do you, how do you structure them? All that, yeah. all that good stuff. In, in general, it's the norm is going to be different from asset class to asset class. So multifamily, it's going to be a huge range, you know, on multi-tenant retail, you're going to largely see, uh, you know, maybe two thirds of the leases. Are triple net. In fact, like California sees more triple net, the Midwest sees less. Uh, and, you know, and your rents are going to change accordingly, right? So mm -hmm. if the tenant's taking the responsibility of those expenses, they're going to pay a lower price per square foot in rent. Whereas if, if the landlord is taking more, the landlord's going to require a higher, basically rent rate for that. So, you know, there is some, some price adjustment for, you know, who's taking the responsibility. Um, but ultimately in, to answer your question, in industrial, it's very common for leases to be triple net. So that's, that's kind of expected. And that's always, you know, really structured during lease negotiations up front. And, and I, I will say as well, the, the term of the lease, the length of that lease really makes a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. If I only have a three year term, I don't want to pay for a new roof, right? I mean, that seems silly. It feels like I'm taking an un undue amount of expense mm -hmm. as a tenant when the landlord, I might leave and, two and a half years and the landlord gets the, the brunt of that value. So on an industrial one, I mean, we're signing 15, 20 year leases on these buildings. So the tenants, they are investing in the property, but they are, you know, 
theoretically going to remain in place to see the returns on that investment for themselves. And I want to hop into the industrial, you know, asset class as well. And it's funny that you bring it up as we were, as, as I was actually interviewing another real estate investor that is in the industrial space and he his primary focus is on warehouses. And I mentioned him because he was also in the military as well. That's so he funny. has that military, he has that military background, but I'd love for you to hop into, you know, what, what your investments look like in the industrial space. I know for him, he was specifically only doing warehouses. So I'd love for you to hop into what you do in the industrial space. Yeah. So we, I mean, I think it's helpful, especially for new investors in the real estate arena, just to understand the types of industrial. So your, your, your kind of core piece of industrial is going to be warehouse slash distribution, you know, effectively four walls and a roof, a lot of space, high ceilings, um, often truck bay doors for shipping and receiving. Uh, but ultimately, your your real estate is providing a shelter and a space for value-add operations, whether they be storage, movement, distribution, or core manufacturing. And you know, we, we are seeking typically manufacturing-heavy tenants where they are actually creating product, creating goods, that they are, you know, effectively typically stored to some extent in that same property or, or nearby and then ultimately ship to their customers. Uh, other, other types of industrial, you'll have flex industrial and that's, that's going to be, uh, imagine, and you've probably seen these industrial parks, long buildings. Um, the size spaces are going to be a lot smaller, usually on average 1500 to 3000 square feet. Each one might have a single truck bay door inside. You could have, you know, a, uh, a wheel shop, a, a metal, you know, metal welder, a, um, you know, a small storage area for a lawn care center, um, you know, and they're going to be a mix of kind of retail and industrial feel. Some of them have a small little storefront walk-in office, um, but, you know, they, they tend to augment some local operation with smaller credit tenants. Uh, and then the last type, you're going to have specialty industrial. And those that can look a lot of different ways, but everything from, you know, say a, a petroleum refinery to, you know, let's say a, a pharmaceutical company who's taken gas and there's laboratories inside. And I mean, really just still creation, but in a, in a very um, specified environment or specified design of that building where that building is, um, you know, the design of that building is intrinsically tied to that operation. Um, and those are going to be, less interchangeable with other industries, um, but more expensive for that particular usage. That's, a, that's an excellent overview. And, and now I want to hop into, let's say that you find a property and you want to put it, you know, you, you get it under contract and now it comes time to, let's say the property is $5 million. And when it comes to that, are you raising capital? Are you tapping into the network of friends and family? Do you just have capital in the bank to do it? And, and how do you sort of go about, you know, getting the down payment? done on a deal that, you know, is a sizable chunk of money? Yeah, no, great question. So there's a lot of ways to, you know, to raise capital. Um, you know, ultimately you have to look at what does your capital stack look like? So how, how are you funding the total amount for this purchase? Um, you know, most projects, regardless of the team, are going to be a mix of sponsor co-invest, basically money either put in or left in, by the operator or sponsor, as it's uh, known in, in some circles. Um, the second piece is going to be debt. So most projects, especially with interest rates, they are uh, make sense to get a certain percentage, typically around 65 to 75 percent 
of the total purchase price um, funded by a bank, right? You'll get a real estate loan. So that's the debt piece. And then the last bit, your quote unquote down payment, whatever's left over after the sponsor co-invest is typically raised through equity. And that equity will be an offering to a single investor or a small group or a large group of investors who come in typically the same terms, but there can be different, different categories. And you're uh, ultimately saying, Hey, here is my business plan. Uh, I'm seeking to raise money. Here is the, you know, cash flow expectations during the hold period because real estate is illiquid, meaning once you buy the building, the building's kind of set. You can't just like pull your portion of the money out and really until that building sells. And then typically you have a pre-negotiated profit split on the back end. So that that's that's the the general way that most real estate investments are structured. You know, for us, we we typically have a I would say a moderate sized group of investors who come in. It's a mix of everything from, you know, working investors who are W-2 earners, you know, doctors, lawyers, dentists, tech directors uh, in the Bay Area, you know, just a mix of people that are looking to invest passively because they have their own, you know, well, well paying primary job. Uh, and then also a mix of, of high net worth investors, um, you know, often who invest as their, career and, and profession and, you know, ultimately looking to take the money that they have and continue to grow in a way that it's effectively funding their, their life and, and goals there. That was an excellent interview. And, and Neil, I want to be respectful of your time today. And I want to hop into a couple of last questions that I ask every guest. And this is one that there's no right or wrong answer, but I'm just curious to see in your mindset, where do you think the real estate market is going in 2021 and beyond? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to venture on, you know, that that high level question, but I, I will maybe um, dig a little tighter into the industrial side, just because that's something I have a, a higher level of expertise in. You know, on the industrial space, we really saw a dramatic kind of increase in in popularity and people, you know, shifting their investment portfolio into industrial over the last really 18 months, and a lot of that was just driving from, you know, an increased need, a higher amount of e-commerce during COVID, a huge amount of businesses, you know, started shipping and having to do things remotely, uh, having a need for storage. And really that puts a lot of demand pressure on existing industrial. And what we're seeing is existing industrial typically sells for 50 to $60 a square foot, new build industrials, almost $200. So there's a big disparity on, what you can buy existing inventory compared to the, you know, over under on should I build instead? So, uh, you know, for that reason, we're seeing, you know, just increasing reliance on the need for storage shipping and, and remote warehousing that I see the, the industrial market probably continuing to grow at a fairly, you know, rapid clip over at least the next two, three, four years. I think that's some, that's some excellent insight. And then I know you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad earlier in our conversation, but I'd love for you to recommend if you have another real estate investing or business book that you'd recommend for our audience to check out. Oh, there's, there's a lot of good ones. Um, let's see. Uh, recent stuff. I actually, I like reading biographies uh, and I like reading, you know, kind of books that inspire you to kind of connect the dots, um, you know, high and low. Uh, a, re a recent one I read that I really tied 
with, you know, kind of individual productivity and, you know, how to optimize the, the amount of hours that you're putting in, really growing your own knowledge, growing your own, you know, business connections, et cetera. And um, it's maybe a little different than what your question was, but it's called why we sleep. And I, I found it fascinating. And I've really, um, you know, understanding the, the reasons and the quality uh, and what really flows into, you know, how, how you become rested, how you can understand your sleep and understand when you're most productive um, and actually be able to, to take those learnings and apply them to your kind of daily routine. I found immensely helpful, um, you know, and being able to balance caffeine use with your body's natural sleep wake cycle and down times and up times and being able to ultimately make, you know, every minute an hour you spend doing what you're passionate about, you know, hopefully more productive. Um, that's, that's been my, my current push. So why we sleep. That's an, that's an excellent recommendation. And then the last question I have for you is where can our audience find you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Neil Walgren with Mag Capital Partners. Um, we have a, a website, www.magcp.com, uh, or just shoot me a note. Love to get feedback uh, on the show, answer any questions, or if you're interested in learning more about investing with us in the industrial space, uh, my email is neil, N-E-I-L, at magcp.com. Awesome. I'll be sure to include that in the show notes. And Neil, I just want to say thank you for your time today. And I know our audience will have enjoyed the episode. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. For full show notes on today's episode, go to podcastingyou.com. That's podcastingyou.com. If you have feedback from today's episode, feel free to email us at trevor at podcastingyou.com. Thanks for listening.